You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Hello there. I have with me this week, attorney John Girardi. He has uh, quite the resume of active positions he's holding currently. He's the director of the Right to Life League of Central California. He's the CEO of the new Obria Clinics opening up in Central California. And he just launched this week a new daily radio show. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Timory. And uh, your intro bumper music is just delightful. That oh. is just oh gosh, that's just it. Just fits you. It's just, <laughs> that's, that's delightful. Okay, I need so to rethink. <laughs> I need to rethink mine now. You know, I appreciate that because people either love it or have this visceral reaction of hatred for our, our intro music. What? That's ridiculous. <laughs> you you should ignore all of them because all of the people, all the haters. Get them out of your life because that that is delightful. You can't listen to that and not be smiling and happy. So good, well, good on you. I am excited to have you on the show because what better topics to take up with you between pro-life issues? We'll be answering some questions about relationships, which, by the way, John and I do this program in the summer called Vox Vitae, and we always have this like end of a week long event with teenagers, this like two hour Q&A, and we just hammer through questions. And so I thought, John, you're here. We've got to take some of these tough relationship questions because you always respond to them with absolute hilarity and truthfulness at the same time. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, we've we've had uh, three babies in the last like four years, my wife and I. So, um, yeah, I think we've sort of managed to pack a lot of wisdom into a few years or whatever it is. I I just like, clearly, I just like lecturing at people. So (laughs) advice is always just right up my alley. You clearly have the credentials. So I want to talk to you actually today. You know, I was debating whether or not to bring this up. So some of you may have heard that Ben Shapiro this week dropped a bomb on the whole argument having to do with whether or not pro-life people should use graphic images of dead aborted babies to help take the pro-life conversation forward. Now, John and I, John's been in the pro-life movement for years. Honestly, John, my initial take on this is I wish pro-lifers would stop arguing over whether whether or not an image should be used, because in some cases it is effective. Yeah, I, I think it, it depends on context. And it, I think it's, I mean, Ben is sort of adjacent to the pro-life movement. He is very pro-life himself, which is, I think, honestly, his best quality. But I think people who are sort of out of the loop of modern pro-life, sort of thinking about what's the best way to present our message, tend to kind of say, well, the reality of abortion is really shocking. So if you show people the shocking reality, it'll wake them up. And for some people, that's undoubtedly true. Uh, in some context, that's undoubtedly true. But I think the public perception that has been engendered by pro-lifers who you know, lead off with graphic images has done, I think, a lot more to hurt us than it has actually really helped us. And I think for, for some women, I mean, Part of the pro-life movement and its outreach is to reach out to women who have had abortions and offer them, you know, healing and help and support. And to lead off with a graphic image of an aborted baby, is that is not helpful to that 
process of healing and reconciliation. So I, I think in general, I kind of, this, I mean, I understand why he's making that claim, but I think in general, there, there's a time and a place for using more graphic images of aborted children. And I, I'm not sure that, uh, I think Ben was being, he, he's not, he, not quite as subtle as I think he needs to be. Well, and so here's the context of the question. Someone asked him, basically, what's, you know, the best pro-life argument having to do with abortion? He says, quote, show them a picture of a dead baby. End of story. Mm-hmm. Close quote. Like, that was it. And I actually really do get where he's coming from in a very basic, simple way. When you show someone what abortion is, and I have to tell you, this is my own story. I was 13 years old. I grew up in the pro-life movement, and I remember as a kid mm-hmm. kind of starting at a certain point to have this simple mindset, well, if a mom just doesn't have her baby, maybe it's okay to just not have it. And I started to think that that's what abortion was. But that's not yeah. the reality. And so for me, seeing those images at about 13 in an educational setting was life changing for me. It really focused where I decided at that time to dedicate my work. And here I am working in the pro-life movement. And, you know, I hear different testimonies. You know, I think of Astrid Bennett, who works with Los Angeles Pregnancy Counseling Services in L.A. Mm-hmm. And she always weighs in on the fact that depending on um, the background of the person, depending on their race, where they come from, especially with the Latino people, that showing them an image, they want to know what abortion is. And so they will actually show a private video in front of the abortion clinic while sidewalk counseling to people of Latino descent that is incredibly effective. So I really do think it depends on where people are at. But here's my one comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts here. A lot of people have a visceral reaction to graphic images. And my take has always been that that visceral reaction whether it's sorrow, anger at you, anger at the situation. If they're angry at you, it's because they don't know how to channel the upset and frustration of seeing such a horror that instead of being angry at the act, they're attacking you at times instead. Well, I, I, I can get that. Yeah, I, I mean, so part of my background in this. Uh, so I was at Notre Dame when Notre Dame invited uh, President Obama to be the commencement speaker and gave him an honorary doctorate. I was back in 2009, and the students had their sort of advocacy against against the university doing that. But then there was this outside group who thought that the best way to protest this was they literally rented like a biplane and flew a, for weeks. They did this, flew the plane around the campus of Notre Dame like almost every single day with a huge banner behind it of an aborted child. Now that to me was completely bonkers. Um, (laughs) And it made our whole side look like a bunch of complete wackadoodles. Uh, So that's part of the, that's my first experience of the whole graphic images debate. Now what you're saying about Astrid uh, and, and her work, at the sidewalk, you know, asking a girl's you know, asking a girl first, hey, would you mind if I showed you this? This is what actually happens during an abortion. Yeah, I think that could be actually really profound and really effective. Um, but I think my hesitation with uh, the graphic imagery is just using that as the lead off. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I almost don't know if it's if it's the, the yeah. use of the imagery itself or the kinds of people who use like. 
I think that it depends the on the people, situation. Yeah. yeah, I think how people yeah. are presenting it. And I get what you're saying. If that's the lead off, just throw an image in their face. But I think the reality is people do need to see images to see how terrible abortion is. And I think this is part of the effectiveness of the new movie Unplanned. And by the way, for those who are just joining us, that's attorney John Girardi. He's with the Right to Life of Central California. He's also the CEO of Obria Medical Clinics opening up in Central California. And, you know, I'm looking at this release of Unplanned, and here we go. The first week it's released, all of a sudden we see it's hitting number one bestseller in dramas, and then it hits the top chart of number one best-selling movie on Amazon within the first couple days of being released. And the overwhelming response I'm hearing from a lot of people, even people who held to that kind of middle ground pro-life position is, I didn't know that ultrasound of the aborted baby. When they go to the product of conception room with Abby, seeing the aborted baby parts, that changed my life. And so I think that there are circumstances within the right setting, but like you said, not leading off with the image. Right. And even, so we at, we at Right to Life Central California, we did a screening for Unplanned. And actually, we're going to do another screening um, on uh, uh, Sunday, the 22nd. We got a theater who's going to let us do it again. Um, Where can people find more ad- about that, John? Oh, they can go to any any listeners in Fresno can learn more about that by going to rtlcc.org or just give Right to Life a call at 559-229-2229. And the way we advertised for it, though, we were very, like, the way we structured the whole our whole viewing of Unplanned was actually very careful. So in our advertising, we let people know this movie contains uh, some potentially disturbing images of two abortions. Uh, we urge parental discretion. Um, and then we actually had at our screening, our entire Rachel's Vineyard team uh, was present, which includes our, our lead gal for our Rachel's Vineyard team as a, a clinical social worker. So, uh, or a licensed, licensed social worker. So we, we tried to make sure that, you know, if someone were watching it and had sort of a re- reaction to, you know, their prior abortion or it was sort of something too intense for them or something, that we would have people on hand to sort of help them. Um, and, and we thought that that was kind of, kind of important. Like, the movie can be, you want the movie to be as powerful as it can be, and I know it has been powerful for a lot of people. Um, and so, and I think by providing that kind of care and, you know, uh, concern, we, we sort of allowed it to be as powerful as it can be. So yeah, I agree. There's definitely a time and a place for the use of such imagery. Well, this appeals back to the original rating. The rating of the movie ended up being R. And so it was mm-hmm. showing that abortion is graphic. What is happening here is so serious, so grave. And it's a bloody, it's an atrocity against the human person. I can't speak highly enough of the movie Unplanned. And I really want everyone listening, if you have not seen Unplanned yet, Go host a screening, buy the movie, have a movie night. I know it's not necessarily like a fun, enjoyable movie, but there is a good message, a good story, and there's great joy by the end of the movie. But it's an opportunity to change hearts and minds, and I think that's part of the greatest power we have with movies. So go check it out on Amazon or wherever you purchase DVDs. You can find it at Unplanned Movie. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. 
You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. I'm back with attorney John Girardi, the director of Right to Life League of Central California. If you're interested in attending the upcoming screening of Unplanned, which, by the way, is available on DVD or wherever you download movies now. So on Amazon, wherever that might be wonderful. But we also want to let you know if you're in the Central California area, Fresno, Right to Life of Central California is hosting a screening coming up later this month, and you can find more out at rtlcc.org. Again, that's rtlcc.org. John, I'm looking at just what's been going on over the last few months, and even over the last year and a half, and we're going to talk about this a little later, but there's a major vocations boom and uptake in mass attendance that we'll be covering. In the meantime, I want to share with you a little story. So I was out to lunch the other day, and I'm sitting waiting um, for the people I was meeting up with and of course yet again I'm eavesdropping on a conversation I think listeners are used to that by now and these two people are friends meeting up man and woman talking about their online dating profile and I was just dying because they were talking about how yeah you have to have adventurous on your profile somewhere because if you don't even if you like routine and even though you know I think routine's wonderful you have to have adventurous because I mean people just aren't going to take you seriously otherwise well see this is the way that you could maybe seize on the inefficiency is to just put not adventurous and then all <laughs> the not adventurous people who who don't want to slog through who don't want to go through the, the stupid song and dance of pretending to be adventurous could see that and be like aha so you might actually get a, a higher percentage of quality catches this is a little <laughs> dating advice from john girardi how to gain the online dating system never online dated once I already have better advice on it than you're going to hear anywhere else. Trending with Timory. <laughs> but you know what? This is such a testament that. So this is a common thing with you that you, oh, you're just gosh. you're just eavesdropping on other other people's uh, conversations. So I, I got to be careful. Yes. With, you know. Yes, yeah. I do. And you know, sometimes I have to be good. You know, give it a few weeks until I uh, mention the story on air because okay. I mean I've heard some good <laughs> ones I and mean, really sad ones, some shocking ones. My younger sister, who's in high school, has finally realized she really likes coming to visit and going to a coffee shop and playing cards because she wants to eavesdrop on another scandalous conversation oh, as geez, we've geez. experienced before. <laughs> the, whole, the, whole Milling, the whole Millington clan. <laughs> so, but here's... Niches, the, niches get stitches, Timmy. You better, you better watch yourself. <laughs> hey, hey, they have no idea right now. No names. Well, yeah, that's true. But you know what? This yeah, is ho- those... Hopefully they're not listening to Catholic Radio. <laughs> well, hopefully they are. <laughs> but you know what? This is one of those opportunities where we can learn a lot about where people are at. And I have, you know, yeah. if you're listening and maybe you're online dating, you're single, you don't want to be. I get it. This is a really painful point in your life, a point that you feel like may never change. But hearing this conversation was a reminder that people sometimes feel so insecure. They feel like they have to flash, whether it's a certain type of clothes, a slogan, you know, claim that they're adventurous when they're not, just so that they can and kind of feel comfortable in a certain scene. It's one of those reminders. We need to find confidence in who we are and right where we're at. I was a little nervous when you said that people felt the need to flash. Um, but anyway, uh, but yes, <laughs> yes, you're right. Be authentic to who you are. Don't pretend to be adventurous when you're not adventurous. And just because you don't want to go climb the Himalayas doesn't make you not adventurous as well. Oh my gosh. Like my wife and I, this is part of how we bond is our total lack of, desiring adventure um basically we love rules we love routines 
Um, our idea of roughing it would be like to stay at a Motel Six because um, you know it's really you know it's you know it's better than camping. Uh, being inside that's that's better than camping. Um, having air conditioning also better than camping. Uh, You're yeah, one of those. My wife and I hate we. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, everyone's family was really. This is a Jim Gaffigan joke that I'm just ripping off, but everyone's family was really into camping, and then we invented the house. So yeah, like yeah, yeah. Be who you be who you are. <laughs> yeah, and I'm the one who I would totally go camping for a vacation. Okay, so here's the other part oh, of that yeah. dating profile that people are talking about: whether or not you want to have kids. And there was this 40 year old woman talking about, well, I really want to have kids, but she's just going, well, if I can't have them with someone, I'm just going to have them on my own. You know, I can always do IVF or whatever I want. And it appeals uh, yet yeah. again. You're going into this mindset with dating. Well, you don't want kids. I'll have them on my own. So are you saying if the person doesn't want kids and you get married to them and you want kids you're just gonna you know adopt or do whatever you want anyways it just this mindset of well say adventurous even if you aren't or i'll have kids even if you don't want to you know of course the catholic mindset is we're called to have kids but this consumerism that enters in becomes so problematic even in just talking to a potential suitor yeah well there's also i think this is kind of a a fruit of the contraceptive mindset that and this is at the heart of IVF, really. The, the idea that children are not goods in and of themselves, who we don't have control over in a sense, whether we receive them or not, but that they are, you know, gifts in a sense, and they're not there for our personal, you know, the gratification of our status of like, okay, well, you know, I got a house and I have a nice car and I have my, you know, two beautiful children. Like, it's not about, you know, and and then to name your children some cuckoo name because you think it sounds cool, not because, like, it's a a decent name. So name your kid, um, you know, Blanket or something, and then your kid has to walk around with that stupid name just because you (laughs) thought it was clever because you read it in Cosmo. Um, Come on, it's gender neutral, John. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So children are not an extension of your own personality. And I think the contraceptive mindset sort of, puts this into people like this notion that that children are sort of an extension of yourself and and just really something about your gratification when really they're you know anything but well going along the same lines you know you sent me an article a couple of months ago which by the way i utterly failed at covering because i saved it in the wrong place i was on the road but i learned that ah. you watch the bachelorette and so I was, as I was talking to you, are you liking that jab there? Once or twice. <laughs> once or twice. We haven't watched in a while. And we only hate watch it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and, and then eventually, eventually we got a little too disgusted. We're like, all right, we're, we're done with this. I'm but. guessing this is a story where you got a little too disgusted because on the last season of The Bachelorette, you told me that this one guy, Mateo, had, and this oh, is shocking, yeah. 114 kids through donating his sperm for IVF. So he was the father of over 114 children that he knew of, and he was just making money off of it. Yeah, which is, I mean, you know, assuming that most, I'm assuming that he's giving to one clinic in one region, and most of the people who are, you know, taking advantage of his services uh, are also from that same region. So now you got 114 people in that same region who all have the same dad. Let's just hope that none of them, you know, date or, you know, uh, get married and have kids because then, you know, they're going to be engaged in incest without knowing it. Uh, they'll be, you know, dating their half brother. 
And it, it sort of showcases, I mean, th- th- this is what IVF sort of, it, it's again, this mindset of children are something to which I have a right, something to which I have control. It's something that is there for me to feel gratified. So I'm going to go to this point of, you know, really toying with nature itself just to bring about this end result rather than viewing children as, you know, a gift and something valuable in and of themselves, which if I receive it, you know, praise, you know, praise God. And if I don't praise God, um, so it, it, yeah, that, that was really, I mean, we hadn't been watching or honestly for like a year or two before that, but that was the real death knell of us ever. It really, it was, it, it, it gotten to the point where th- that story alone made me just, you know, want, wanted, made me want the eschaton to come about. And I think Jesus is, I think we're, we're ready. So the world, <laughs> the world's corrupt enough. Jesus can come back and just <laughs> fire and brimstone this thing back to, back to ship shape. So. Well, and here's part of the problem though, is that this is a challenge all of us face and you are a testament to it in this, these circumstances, not a show you watched all the time, but you happen to be watching it. And yeah. here there's something that's so problematic and so wrong. And yet the bad Bachelorette, the show poses it as a talking point of, wow, this is something really interesting. That's a way to strike a conversation. In reality, yeah. those who are consuming the show are slowly and slowly being boiled alive and saying, well, that's okay. You know, we're desensitizing. We're putting faces to it to the point where we are mm-hmm. so approving of certain acts and I mean, just the marketing of them. This is where we have responsibilities as consumers to say enough is enough. I'm not participating in even giving my eyeballs to watching this show sure like if you look at the show modern family i don't so in two <laughs> well yeah i don't either but in 2000 so i think it started right around 2008 in 2008 majority of americans were in favor of marriage between one man and one woman and california even though barack obama was elected california passed proposition eight which defined marriages between one man and one woman uh 10 years of modern family being on tv and being the most popular comedy uh on tv now, gay marriage is legal in every state in the union, and the now a pretty sizable majority of Americans are okay with gay marriage. And uh, now I'm not saying that entire shift was caused by the show Modern Family, but undoubtedly, having one of the most popular sitcoms in America prominently feature several homosexual characters who are married and who have adopted a kid did a lot to change the mindset of a lot of Americans on the topic. So what what you... What you consume, you are what you eat. And I think that applies to media, too. Well, and it shows how when we are strategic about what we try to show people that we can actually change public opinion. And part of this was strategic. And so we have to be aware as we're consuming the content that our hearts, our minds are being changed and influenced by what we see. And why not spend more of our time with great adventurous stories, going camping with John Girardi, who just loves the outdoors. If you're listening (laughs) earlier, you heard about, you know, doing stuff to really build up the mind, the body the soul and watching good movies that challenge us rather than shows that just influence and we sit here and consume and kind of let it pass by the way john gerardi's in studio with me he's an attorney and we're going to be diving into the latest update great news on the ru486 abortion push in california You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes.
You're listening to Trending with Timory. Hello, hello everyone. John Girardi is with me. We are in the studio and we're talking about some really great news that I am praying that will be the shutting down of SB 24. That is the radically pro-abortion expansion that's being pressured for the second time of on us here in California to bring the RU46 abortion pill to all Cal State University and, and other public camp, college campuses in the state of California, estimating about 500 additional abortions per month. John Girardi, welcome. There is an update here, which is really hopeful. Yes. So the California Department of Finance, which I guess does uh, fiscal analyses for different pieces of California legislation that our state legislature has introduced, basically it reviewed SB 24. And as you said, this is the bill that would require the CSU and UC student health centers to provide medication, so-called medication abortion, which is a series of pills that you take to artificially induce basically a miscarriage at eight to 10 weeks of pregnancy. And in their assessment of it, the California Department of Finance actually came out opposing the bill, which is crazy and crazily awesome, and basically said that there is no way that this bill would not require either student tuition fees to be increased or California state taxpayer revenue to be used to fund it. And those of us who've been active in opposing this legislation, I've been up to Sacramento like two or three times this year to oppose it. We've been sending in letters to our legislators to oppose it. Um, This is what we've been saying the whole time for like two, two or three years, that there's no way that this legislation is fiscally responsible in addition to, you know, being an obvious moral catastrophe. So this was huge. And I think if there's any chance of Gavin Newsom vetoing this legislation, and now the, the road is clear for that to happen. There's hope at the end of the tunnel here. And for those who forgot, just last year, our former governor, Jerry Brown, actually ended up vetoing it. And he was even support, very in support of abortion. Yet he said, you know what? There's a abortion clinic within an average of six miles of every college campus. Why? We don't need this. This isn't necessary. And so to see this huge fiscal irresponsibility coming through from the chief fiscal advisor is really, really good. We need to continue to pray. If you haven't called into your legislator over the last week, um, we'll be posting more information. Just stay tuned on my social media at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E for where you can call in. Hopefully we've been plugging it. Hopefully you already sent in your letter of opposition as well. John, is there anything else people can do right now? Oh yeah, there's all kinds of stuff you can do right now. Uh, Once the bill, so contact your state legislators. I think the best way to do that uh, you can go to rtlcc.org and click the legislation tab. And we've got a little thing there about SB 24. And we have a link also where you can look up, because a lot of people don't actually know who their you know, state assembly member and state senator are. So we have a link there to where you can type in your address, and it automatically spits out for you who your state assembly member and state senator are and what their phone number is. So call their offices or write letters to them telling them, hey, we want you to vote against SB 24. Um, The California Department of Finance said that this is fiscally irresponsible. And I I do want to to, to re-emphasize for your listeners, Timory, how big a deal this is. So the fact that the California Department of Finance 
just opposed the bill. That is huge because basically there's a whole spectrum of positions that interested organizations can take in legislation. They can take a position of oppose unless amended. They can say we take no position. We neither support nor oppose. You can take a position of support if amended, and you can just take a position of support. They pick the most negative position they could have taken. They're flat out opposing it. They're like, no, there's no way you can even fix this legislation to make it work. It's just fiscally irresponsible. Even the, and that's so significant. Like the, the California State University and the University of California systems have actually, throughout this whole process, they've deliberately taken no position. Because they oppose it. It's too expensive for them. Well, that's, just, well, that's the thing, though. They, they oppose it. They know it's bad. They know it's dumb, but they have so many and so crazily left-wing pro-abortion faculty that they can't just take the common sense position that they should be taking, which is to oppose this legislation. Uh, they, so they've been, both the CSU and the UC system, um, they've been in this limbo saying, well, we appreciate the author's work and, and, and we don't oppose the bill. But we're not in support either, and blah, 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 blah. They've really been kind of cowardly, I think, because they, they should just be willing to stand up and say, hey, this is not the point of the Student Health Center. The point of the Student Health Center is to give you Tylenol and Advil and send you to an actual hospital if you have something wrong with you. It's not to be handing out, you know, medication abortion pills. Uh, the universities don't need that liability on their hands, but they're so beholden to this pro-choice worldview. And I've been at these hearings where the CSU and UC representatives are there and they say, well, we just totally are supportive of ensuring full access to abortion rights for all of our students. But we just have some concerns about it. So it, they're so beholden to this pro-choice agenda that they they have to sort of pay this lip service. Yeah, so they're anyway, saving the, face the fact here. That yeah, they're saving face. But so the fact that the California Department of Finance just opposed it, like that's an executive branch office under Gavin Newsom. Like, of course, they're naturally inclined to, to be supportive of people having access to abortion. But they, even they recognize that this legislation is so stupid and so poorly organized. It's not even just the, the financial aspect of it. Like the the commission that this bill would have created to basically administer this whole program, it's a disaster. The California Department of the California Department of Finances. This commission does not have the expertise to run a program like this. Right. And the they don't have the don't. manpower. To yeah, run. and the yeah. schools aren't ready. They're not ready for the medical billing side of it. They don't even have the private funding that no. would be necessary. And I mean, if this would yeah. pass, just one part of the financial side of the bill would be that they would need over two hundred thousand dollars per school in order to help implement some level of readiness to provide the RU-46 abortion pills. And you guys, if you are not aware of RU-46, and I really think most of you are, you've probably known someone or maybe you yourself have experienced this kind of abortion. 
and just watch unplanned and see Abby Johnson's testimony. I have counseled women through this. I mean, I don't want to go into too much detail, but blood clots the size of baseballs. I mean, blooding for days, sometimes weeks at a time. And then imagine this. This is what the abortion facility tells you. Well, what about when you pass your baby? Because you will alone at home. And they say flush don't look. Imagine how traumatizing that part alone, disregard all of the medical pain and expense, just that traumatizing element of being told to flush and don't look and what that does to you psychologically. Yeah, it's and it's something where, you know, there's risk with a medication abortion of infection, uh, especially infection from uh, hemorrhaging. And where are you asking these girls to have their medication abortions. Well, likely, if you're passing them out on campus and it's there at the Student Health Center, you're effectively saying, hey, all you uh, college-age girls having these medication abortions, go have them on the toilet in your dorm room, in the public restroom, the gross, disgusting, possibly shared in a co-ed dormitory situation, restrooms in your public university dorm room. That is gross. And people unsanitary and people don't right and people don't know that RU46 actually suppresses the woman's immune system and so this is part of the major concern with RU46 abortions not only are they unregulated dangerous they're often being given later into a pregnancy than a woman should really have it and with it suppressing the immune system there are infections that are setting in it that are literally causing death or serious long-term health consequences for women and so you know people say well women need access in order to live their lives. Okay, let's say you stand by that mindset. This is preventing people from psychologically, emotionally, and physically moving forward in their school, in their career, or in just their own maturation, which should be taking place while in college. Yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, even getting away from moral arguments, this is just not something the universities need to even be involving themselves in at all. Like, this is beyond the scope of what they should even be doing. And we're creating this whole moral conundrum out of nothing. It's so unnecessary for us even to be having this debate. But it's that word access. And I've I've talked about this a lot on my show, but the word access, you don't hear anyone on the pro-choice left anymore say that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. They say that abortion should be safe, legal, and universally accessible. What that means is if you can't afford an abortion, have the taxpayers pay for it for you. If you can't get an abortion because you live in a region where the only hospital is a Catholic hospital, well, then we should knock down all the conscience protections that uh, Catholic hospitals and, and pro-life you know, health care providers have, so that, which protect them from having to work against their conscience and perform abortions when they morally don't believe in it. So that is the buzzword. This whole legislation was born out of it. And we really need to push back against this notion that universal abortion access is somehow a public policy goal to be attained. Um, that's the, the battle we're fighting right now as a pro-life movement. And John, this is a great example because you are showing that there are multiple ways to skin a cat here in terms of how we engage and dialogue on a pro-life issue. And here 
clearly the perspective of fiscal responsibility, well, who pays for this bill if it passes, is obviously problematic. That's an excellent path. But you just pointed out this isn't something that universities should be doing. And it's obviously something they're saying even the most staunchly pro-abortion advocates on campus don't want. And I think that's what's incredible. Students are coming out saying we're pro-abortion, but we don't want this on our campus. We have some serious concerns. Coming right back, we'll be talking about a major vocation boom and answering questions about relationships. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. Attorney John Girardi is in studio with me. He is a director of Right to Life League of Central California, CEO of Obria Medical Clinics in Central California, and also hosts a new daily radio show. John, where can people listen to your new show? Go to Power Talk 96. Uh, do a Google search for Power Talk 96.7, and uh, they have a Listen Live tab there, and you can listen live to me every Monday through Friday from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific. Uh, I, I don't have the, our podcast feed is not up yet, but hopefully it'll be up next week. And hopefully if you search for the John Girardi show in the next week or two on Apple Podcasts, you can uh, download it there. Um, but yes, yeah, every Monday through Friday, 6 to 7, the John Girardi show. Congratulations. Uh, I'm also the host, thank, thank you, thank you. I'm also the host of Right to Life Radio, by the way, uh, yes. which you can find uh, just by looking in Apple Podcasts for Right to Life Radio. And I'm the first thing that pops up. So that's an exclusively pro-life focused show that I do with my buddy, Jonathan Keller. Excellent. You guys there are you doing go. great work there. And you guys really do a lot of updates as well on like a lot of the legal side of various pro-life bills and talking about pro-life tactics. I highly recommend it. So be sure to check that out. Look it up on Apple and stay tuned as John is on the airwaves daily talking about religion, politics and the abortion issue. I want to answer some questions that came into me having to do with dating and college and marriage. And so, John, I'd love your perspective let's say three key things first question is how to keep a relationship chaste in college uh don't have sex <laughs> don't have All sex right, no, obviously. Let, me <laughs> let me give a better one uh i think that i think a better uh obviously that's kind you of, have to draw the, the line one. somewhere come on people well there you go anyway i would say a good way to do that in college having dated my girlfriend all through my wife excuse me <laughs> having dated my wife all through college and law school when she was my girlfriend. I think a key thing to do is to have lots of group activities and to have it be in the context of a friendship among a group of friends. I think that's sort of an important thing because it allows you actually to be friends with this person first and like figure out if you like actually like each other before you start, you know, getting handsy pansy. Um, I think that was really important for my wife and me because we were in this big group of at Notre Dame, this big group of Catholic friends who we would do all kinds of activities together. We'd all go to mass together. We'd all you know, do a lot of, you know, watch football games together. So we, we kind of, it wasn't all just, you know, the two of us huddled off together alone time all the time. It was a lot of opportunities for sort of group activities. And I think pumping the brakes on physical intimacy of any sort early on and, uh, you know, that tends to be a ratchet that only goes one way. 
um, if you start getting really physically intimate with someone very early on, it's hard to scale that back. So I'd say, you know, being cautious about physical intimacy early on, acknowledging that at 18, you're probably still three or four years away from popping the question to someone. So, you know, slow your roll and uh, be sure to, you know, develop the relationship within the context of friendships with lots of other people. And I love those, those that. Those are some of my initial, my, some of my initial ideas. Yeah. And you know, this hits on the other question of how do you strengthen your French friendship with a person you're dating? Well, learn how they interact with their other friends, develop new friends together. And I love that essentially what you're saying is don't isolate yourselves. If you isolate yourselves, you're creating a breeding ground for idle time and idle hands. I mean, that's the truth of it. And that makes it harder to uphold boundaries. You know, you start with that basic yeah. statement of like, oh, just don't have sex. Well, do you have that boundary that's clear? been communicated and in actuality that boundary isn't enough with regard to physical context and I think a lot of people don't think about that as well yeah well it's also a thing certainly my friends in college had one or two girlfriends who and whether they were I don't know that they were being unduly physical with them or anything I'm not not saying that but when you're infatuated with someone you often can't see what a jerk they are or how ill-suited they are to you. And especially if you're getting physically intimate with them early on, you really can't see that. And if you're isolating yourself from your broader circle of friends, you really, really, really can't see that. A lot of times you'll be dating someone who's not right for you, and you're the only person in your group of friends who doesn't know it because she's not interacting with your friends very often so that you can't see, oh, she interacts with all of my friends like a total jerk. I probably shouldn't be dating this person. Uh, and you're so you're getting physically intimate too early. So you're, you're not, you're, you're in, you know, hormone driven infatuation land. And all of your friends are sitting around saying, wow, that girl that, uh, you know, Mike is dating. She's a real, you know, so I think isolating yourself and getting intimate, physically intimate too early are just really bad idea. Well, in, that- in a group of friends, you know, cool it with the with the handsy pansy right and that also allows for that whole idea of custody of the eyes and heart for men being more responsible with how you're viewing imagining um your girlfriend and especially for women having custody of the heart like don't jump right away like we are getting married tomorrow because we started dating we said we love each other and i mean you know that happens and then there's this major letdown well part of the letdown is because you were physically intimate too soon you let your heart get away with you rather than evaluating is this a good person to possibly marry and so that gets into how do you keep a chase relationship you also have to have goals what's the purpose of dating if it's just to have a good friendship that's not enough dating is specifically for the purpose to see if you this is someone you're interested in possibly marrying down the road i'd also say this and i don't know that this necessarily has to do with chastity or not but nine times out of ten Jimmy, when did you meet your husband? Let me let me ask before I, before I launch into this. Yeah, no, I met my husband in college, and we also de- dated through college and grad school and for a while after. So we dated way longer than we had in store, okay. but it's just life circumstances. Well, okay, so my, my recommendation for people is, uh, especially if you're a freshman entering college, break up with your high school girlfriend, okay? It, 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 look, you met this person when you were 17. You could hardly possibly be stupider. Um <laughs> acknowledge the reality that you have a large physical distance between you and 
try to experience all that college has to offer. And it's not saying like break up with your girlfriend so you can go party, you know, be unchaste, be unchaste with tons of other girls. But like, you know, you're going to college, you're meeting lots and lots of new people and new experiences. Don't be that guy who's like, oh, sorry, I can't, I can't hang out with you guys. The wife's uh, calling. Really fun, cool time because because I got a FaceTime with my girlfriend and say nothing for two hours. Like, no, just be in college. Be in the moment. Live your life. If this girl is really something special, you know, if your high school girlfriend is really something special, it'll find it a way to work out. But 19, let me tell you, 95, 96, 97 times out of 100, she ain't the one you met in high school. You could not be stupider. <laughs> so this is that is that is another piece of John Girardi's advice. John Girardi you're going wisdom. To college, break up with your dumb high school girl. Okay, but I'm going to throw in another perspective. <laughs> we also have to throw that people are clearly not only de- delaying marriage because they're not meeting the right person. They're trying to achieve different types of academic and career goals. But also sometimes people are delaying marriage unnecessarily. And I do know people who have gotten married while in college as long as they could support themselves and have had wonderful relationships. So I think that that chastity, though, allows for that if you have a goal in mind. And this gets to that question of, well, is it okay to date someone for five, six, ten years? I can tell you out of personal experience, I ended up dating my husband just a week shy or two weeks shy of two of six years before we got married and (laughs) a discount Um, and that was really challenging and there were life circumstances undergrad grad school and other things that came along on that journey but if you don't have a marriage in mind is your goal and if you're not reevaluating that relationship to see where you're headed with that goal that's when it becomes problematic and if you're not being chased i mean that's one of those moments where it's a big red alert if you're asking how long should this relationship go on why are you asking it do you not have a goal in mind is your mortal soul in danger are you becoming dependent on someone that's not your spouse maybe yeah yeah that's all and i think my wife and i we wound up dating and we wound up dating about the same period of time because I had to, you know, I, I had, to, you know, I was going to grad school and and I just wasn't in a position to support my wife to support a wife. So we, we wound up dating, you know, a couple of years longer than she would have wanted. I would have wanted, um, but uh, but yeah, sometimes it has to happen. And if you start on a foundation of too much physical intimacy, like it's not it's not good. It's not going to work. And yeah, uh, you're putting your putting your immortal soul in danger, not worth it. So anyway, yes, I agree. Uh, dating for really, really long stretches of time is pretty hard and you got to have, I think you got to have at least a game plan in mind of like, okay, how is this relation going to get to the point of us getting married, of us getting to a point where, you know, financially, morally, et cetera, we're, we're going to be able to get to that ideal end goal. Right. And you have to be able to communicate because maybe you have that goal in mind and it's a year from now, it's six months from now. Well, if that goal is not being achieved six months or a year from now, you need to check back in because if it's not checked back in, the reality is, is at least one of you is aware of that goal. And in some way they're feeling miserable about it and either they're checking out, they're losing hope. And so continuing to bring that goal and that hope and that responsibility for not just a relationship, but as John's talking about preparing to provide down the road is so important. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. John, where can people find you? Have a plan in mind. We're at the end of the show. Yeah. Where can people find you, John, if they want to learn more about your radio show again? 
Okay, you can find me at rtlcc.org, that's Right to Life Central California, or uh, Google search for The John Girardi Show, G-E-R-A-R-D-I, or follow me at Fresno Johnny. You can learn more about John Girardi and his work if we head over to radiotrending.com underneath the guest page. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. That's radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 